Would you do me a great favor? Turn with me, please, in the book of Ephesians. I, I really am excited about getting into this particular message because it is um, a message that really relates to who Christ is in us. You're going to see Paul make a most outstanding prayer. He's going to pray from verse 15 to verse 23. We have completed one of the richest places in all of God's Word. I want you to know that. Because it is a time where God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit allow us to see who they are in our lives and how securely they hold us. I told you that uh, from verse 3 to verse 14 was one sentence with three different thoughts. The thoughts in verses 1 through 14 really is in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, we, we, we took a look at what, what and who God the Father is and, and who He is in, in our lives and that He has called us, He had predestined, He had called us to be a part of His family before the foundation of this world. In other words, in the distant past, God the Father set the tone for you and me as a part of the family of God. As a matter of fact, I think it says in verse 4 that He allowed us to be positionally, not in our practice, but positionally He has allowed us to be holy and blameless before Him. Then we saw in verses 7 through 12, we saw that Jesus Christ, right now in the present time, has allowed us to be redeemed. He has set us free from the power of sin and death and the power of sin over our lives. He has forgiven us completely. In verse 7, we, we took a look fairly closely at one word, and it was redeemed. And we, we said in the New Testament, that word is used in three different times, three different places. One, all of them are about the same, except that each one has a different result. And we said in, in the word redeemed in one place means that someone would go and purchase something at a marketplace, and the sole purpose of purchasing whatever it is he purchased was to either keep for himself or to trade away or resale. It was up to him. That thing, that person was redeemed for the use of the one who redeemed him. The second word for redeemed was same scenario, a marketplace purchased something, someone, and but this time the, the person that purchased this someone or something purchased it for the sole intent of keeping it solely for themselves. Never, never to give it away or to retrade it. But then we saw in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 that that word redeemed there has a much deeper meaning. It is the same scenario, go to the marketplace, something or someone is for sale, and this person purchases that someone or something with the sole intent of, do you remember what? Setting it we use the example of Jesus Christ with that woman that was caught in adultery. They brought her before the Lord with the sole intent of entrapping Him. They could care less about her. But Jesus Christ said to them, Okay, those of you who were without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone at her. And 
as we saw in that story, when Jesus Christ rose up after writing some things in the dirt, he asked the woman, where are those that accuse you? Are they no longer here? And she said, no, Lord, no one accuses me. And he said to her those wonderful words, neither do I. Go your way and what? Sin no more, you're free. You're free. And go your way and sin no more. And with that statement, he allowed you and me to see that there's the possibility that we need not sin again. Positionally, we are holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle before the Lord. He has redeemed you and me. That is what our Savior has done for us. That is who He is in our lives. You see, who we are in Christ is really, really secondary, if at best. Who He is in our life is everything. And so we went on then to see in verses 13 and 14 that not only are we secure in the past by God the Father and secure in the present by God the Son, but our future is secure as we are told in verses 13 and 14 that God the Holy Spirit has sealed us and He has made a pledge of our inheritance. We are secure in the past. We are secure in the present. We are secure in the future. Our position in God is wonderfully, wonderfully secure. And so, we become God's own possession. That's what Ephesians 1 is trying to say to us. To the praise of His glory. We live our lives. Paul is trying to relate to the church to honor our God for all that He is within our lives. And we are held secure once we come to Christ. And now what Paul does is he desires for you and me to understand all that this is. He wants you and me to comprehend what, he, what God has done for us. The unlimited blessings that, that we have in Christ. So Paul, in verses 15 to 23, prays for you and me. We have inherited all of these blessings that were were stated in verses 3 through 14. So the rest of this chapter, Paul does what any wonderful pastor might do, and that is to pray for his congregation, that we might fully comprehend, that we might fully understand and fully appreciate all of the blessings that God has lavished upon us. As it says in verse 18, we're going to read the whole rest of this chapter in a moment. It says that Paul prays so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. So that we might know what is the hope of His calling upon us. So it's, it's an almost amazing place. You know, oftentimes when I pray, after we read the Word of God, I pray... Psalms 118, verse 19, I think it is. Open up our eyes, dear God, so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Well, that's what Paul is saying here, basically. He is saying that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened for everything that God has done for you. You see, there's something really unique and special about knowing who you are in Christ. 
and knowing who He is in your life. There is nothing quite as difficult than to wonder, wonder, am I loved? Wonder, am I okay? Wonder if, if I still am valued. The only closest way I know how to explain to you how that feels is in my life. I, I, some of you, most of you know that I played baseball. You, you might know that I played with the Dodgers and I used to go to spring training with them. I've never once, not one year, did I go to spring training knowing that I had the club made. Not once. Every year I went to, the, went to Vero Beach, Florida, I fought like a dog to try to make that roster. To try to fly on the Dodgers jet from Vero Beach back to wherever we were opening up the season, whether it be L.A. or whatever. I never was secure as a, a ball player that I was a major league baseball player. And that was really difficult. I ran around with all the guys and said, hey, relax, John. Said, you relax. I'm trying to make the ball club. You've got it made. I remember Sandy at Koufax took me out once for, for breakfast and, and we were late. I, I, was, I, don't even, I don't even know if I wore a watch in those days, but I, I knew that we were almost late and and I said, Sandy, let's get back. We've we got to get dressed. He said, oh, relax. <laughs> You're going into the Hall of Fame, Sandy. You can relax. I am in the Hall of Shame at this, <laughs> at this particular moment. Let's go back so that at least I can get dressed, you know, and be ready on time. I don't want, I don't want Walt Alston to think of anything about me that might say he doesn't care. He understood what I was coming from, and so we rushed back. But that was a very, very difficult feeling to always practice knowing that, that they didn't really think that highly of you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if we understand what the Bible is saying, we'll never have to have that feeling again. We are on the Hall of Fame. We are there in heaven itself he has secured you and me so much that he loves us that he cares for us and that's the way to live your faith because when you live your faith that way that frees you up to be everything that god wants you to be it frees you up to really love him and serve him when you understand that principle and so that's what paul is trying to say to you and me, you're secure, not in who you are. You're secure because God the Father loves you. God the Son cares for you. And God the Holy Spirit is going to personally deliver you into the kingdom of God. He's made a pledge and He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, in Ephesians chapter 1, with that in mind, Paul says, verse 15, For this reason, well, I hopefully explain to you why he starts off his praying by saying, for this reason. The reason is that you are secure, that God loves you. He says, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my 
prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray, he says in verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things in subjection under His feet. He gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all and all. I don't know if you sense it or not. I don't know if you can see or hear or feel what Paul is saying. He is pouring out His heart. He is reminding you and me over and over again of all authority, of all power, all dominion, all rule, every name, only, not only in this time, but in the ages to come. In other words, this isn't going to go away, this promise that you have. This surpassing greatness is all given to those of us by His power, to those of us who believe. A great prayer. Someone came to me the other day and, and, and said, you know, um, I want to get personal with you. May I? And I said, of course. And I said, well, you know, when I pray, my mind wanders. I, I, I can't really hold my thoughts. I even get sleepy when I pray. I said, man, me too. I can start to pray... Or I can start to study the Bible, and all of a sudden I'll think about, I wonder if I've taken out the trash. You want to know something? I hate taking out the trash. But all of a sudden, because I'm in the Bible or starting to pray, I'm thinking about taking out the trash. Give me a break. Where do you think that comes from? Satan just doesn't want me to. And so I told this person, I've kind of, I've kind of mastered this mind-wandering and and thinking about other things. At a conference a long, long time ago, I heard a man teach about praying. And he prays by reading the Word of God. He reads it as an effect back to God, and then when God reminds him of something, he starts to pray over it. I would suggest maybe you try. For instance, I haven't pre-written this down, just kind of on a rabbit trail, as Wes would call it. In verse 15, if I were to go to God and start to pray and I'd start to read to Him, for this reason I too, having heard of the faint of the Lord Jesus which exists among you, I might stop and say, Lord, thank You for the people at the rock. Thank You for the faith of these dear people who who hold strong to Your Word, who desire Your Word to be taught. Do not want to compromise on it, Father. Help us to understand. Help us to grow. And I'll pray for you guys. 
maybe go on to read in verse 15 and your love for all the saints and I can be reminded of how much I love you guys. And tell the Lord exactly how much I love this church and how much I love the people who come to this church and how much you mean to me. And I've learned through that conference I went to kind of a, a clue on praying, of worrying, reading the Word back to God and when He kind of opens up some thought through what I read, I just stop there and pray to Him thanking Him or going to Him or asking Him for whatever it is that happens to be on my mind as I read through the Word of God. It's a, you'd be surprised too how the Lord God will quicken His Word to, to your memory and to your heart if you'll do that. Um, I'm not saying it's the only way. I'm just saying I understand having my heart wander and my thoughts wander you know, if I want to go to sleep and catch a nap, I go to my bed, lay down, and start to pray. Gone. You know? I understand. It's um, it's like everything else, like having a watch that beeps every hour to see how I'm doing. It's, it's, it's different things that draw you closer to the Lord. And so what Paul does is he wants us to kind of comprehend what's just been taught in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And so he asks that our eyes might be enlightened, that we might comprehend fully what has just been taught. Father, I want to ask that same thing. I want to ask, Father, that we might behold wonderful things from your word so that, so that the heart of our our eyes might be enlightened so that we might know what is the hope of your calling, the riches of your glory, the inheritance that we have been given as believers in you, all because of your power towards those of us who believe. Thank you, Father, for your, your dear Son who lived on this earth and allowed himself to go to the cross and shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins, who redeemed us, Father, so that He might set us free from this, this body of sin, and so that we might, like Paul, say the words that he wrote in Romans, there is now no condemnation to those who are in your Son, Jesus Christ, for He has set us free from the law of sin and the law of death giving us eternal life, allowing us to be holy and blameless before you. So Lord, would you move me aside? Please allow us to see deeply this prayer, understand it a little more, so that we might comprehend how we might pray for others or for ourselves and how we might turn out to be the people that you've created us to be without spot or wrinkle, holy and blameless, as close as we can become here on this earth so that we would be your representatives here on this earth to the people who need, desperately need to know more about you. Give us that, give us that burden, Father. I pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Wow, that was a long introduction. <laughs> Please forgive me. Um,
Listen, as Paul begins this prayer in verse 15, he says, for this reason, what he's doing is reflecting back on what he just taught us, what he just wrote to the churches. And remember, this is a circular letter. This wasn't going just to Ephesus. This, this letter was for you and me. He wants to pray that you and I will understand all that we have because of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that we will be a, a blessed people and, and comprehend the blessings that come our way, to take upon ourselves our true position in Christ rather than living this this life where we practice sinning and and just having this roller coaster existence. And so he says, for this reason I want you to be holy and blameless. That's what he's trying to say. And so he addresses this prayer, as you can see, to true believers. Wait, you might say, wait, how do we know he's talking just to true believers? Look again with me at verses 15 and 16. Paul begins his prayer by saying, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Paul adds in 16, verse 16, I, I do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. The cardinal mark of a true believer are universally two things. One, faith in Jesus Christ, but not just faith in Jesus Christ, but faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord, as well as our Savior. And secondly, the cardinal mark of a true believer is to have love for all the saints. Our faith in Jesus Christ hinges on one thing, and one thing for certain, and that is, as verse 15 states, that we agree that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Our Lord. You see, you and I have no right to say no to our Lord. He is our Lord, as well as our Savior. And so Paul states that our faith must be founded upon His Lordship over us. You see, Jesus Christ is not just a God. Jesus Christ is God, a very God. He is our Lord, as well as our Savior. And Jesus Christ over and over and over again asserts His Lordship over us. Just two different places. You don't even need to turn there, really. You can look at them later. I would really encourage you to do so. John 14.15 as well as John 15.14. In John 14.15, Jesus says, If you love me, you're going to keep what? My commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. He goes on to say in John 15.14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Folks, both of those verses, as well as so many other, speak to Jesus Christ being our Lord, commanding over us. If you love me, you're going to keep what I've told you. You're my friends if you do what I have commanded you. He is our Lord. The second genuine mark of a true believer is to love all other Christians 
As Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, I was asked a long time ago to memorize these two verses. In my life, when I was raised, I was raised in a very loving home. It was very easy for me to tell people I loved them. I did that even before I was a believer. It was very easy for me to go to people and hug them. My parents were from the old country, from Croatia, and people come to our house, I didn't even know. They would hug and kiss. I, you know, they just would do that, you know. And, and I was raised in that fashion, so for me to, to do that is not abnormal. But when I became a believer, my love for others grew. And so I was asked in John chapter 13, verse 34, to memorize a new commandment, Jesus says, I have given to you. And that is that you love one another. How do we love, I ask? Well, Jesus says, even as I have loved you, so you should have love for one another. He says, look, by this, by your love for one another, all people are going to know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? He says, look, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, he says, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Second verse, he says, but if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to even remove a mountain, but I don't have love, he says, I am what? Do you know? I am nothing. Nothing. The true mark of a believer is to understand the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to have love for one another. That's why it just it amazes me when a church has splits. It amazes me that there is problems that occur within a church when, when the mark of a true believer is that we should have love for one another. But we are all sinners. So I understand it. It just breaks my heart when it happens. So Paul is saying for us to take action upon our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our love for one another. We need to understand those things to understand who He is in us and who we are in Him. So Paul petitions in verses 17 through 23 he petitions God to give you and me an understanding and an appreciation of who we are and who He is. Paul asks of God in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 1 that He, God, may give you and me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. In other words, to know Him. You want to turn the next book over is Philippians. You're in Ephesians, the next book is Philippians. Take a look at Philippians chapter 3 with me for a moment. In chapter 3, Paul is explaining who he is. His testimony, if you would, how he was born into a, a, a Hebrew home. He was a Jew of Jews. Um, he was truly circumcised. Uh, uh, he, he talks about all the things. He was in the tribe of, of, of Benjamin, the nation of Israel. Hebrew of Hebrews, he says in verse 5, as to the law, he says, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. But then he says in verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, 
He says, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, he says, more. I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This knowing in verse 8 is salvation. Knowing Him as my Lord as well as my Savior. He goes on to say in verse 8, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I account them but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ, and be found in Him, he says in verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that is derived from the law, but that which is through faith. His righteousness comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says in verse 10, that I might know Him. That word know there is grow. That might be knowledge. That I might know the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. What Paul desires is for you and me to understand this and to stop frantically looking to and fro for what is already ours. We need a knowledge of Him. There is supposedly a true story I wrote down in my notes, but I know it by heart. It's about the man called William Randolph Hearst. Very, very wealthy. And he had... He had a desire to collect beautiful things. He collected works of art. And in his travels, he, he desired to own this work of art that he thought about or heard about. He desired to own it. And the people who told him about it said it was priceless. He goes back to his home base. He gathers together his best people. He meets with them and says, I don't care the cost. I want us to find this work of art and I want to purchase it and I want to hang it in one of my museums. And so he orders them to go and find it. And their search took them finally to one of his warehouses where he stored a lot of his extra stuff. You know what they found in that warehouse? That work of art that he wanted. He already owned it. It already was His. Sadly, too many believers today scurry to and fro, frantically looking for what is already ours. We already possess it. We just don't understand the Word of God richly enough to know all that He has given to us. As Paul starts this whole idea in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, you and I, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And tra tragically, too many a Christian becomes entangled in a spiritual quest for something more, something special, Something that will move their humdrum, ordinary Christian life into this other place where they can be just alive with spiritual wealth. Within ministry, we hear, please, people asking, I, I want to know more of Jesus. I want to, 
more of the Holy Spirit. I want more power. I want more blessings. Give me a higher, give me a deeper walk with Christ. As if God has hidden this, this, this special blessing away from some, like it's a game of spiritual hide and seek. Getting hotter. You know, you play that with your kids, you're getting warmer. No. God says, you want more? To say that to God implies that when you were saved, Jesus Christ did not give you all of Himself. Or did not give you all of the Holy Spirit. That He withheld some of His blessings until you met certain requirements. Well, what does God say? Look at Second Peter, please. I will wait until you find it. Second Peter chapter 1, please. Look at two verses, verses 2 and 3. Here's what God, God's Word had to say about these blessings that we've already been reminded in Ephesians that we have. But Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us what? everything pertaining to the life to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence you see once you come to believe in Jesus Christ you have no need you have no justification to ask God for anything more you see in Christ Jesus we immediately have all that God has to offer us we need to understand that principle that Paul is trying to teach. True. Doesn't mean that you and I don't need to grow. As a believer in Jesus Christ, our call as believers is to grow in our faith. But for the spiritual blessings, we have all that God can offer us immediately upon salvation. What we need to do is to understand what is out there. Have a knowledge and wisdom of what He has given us so that we can appropriate it into our lives. And so Paul prays that, that we would come to comprehend all of that. And so verse 17 clearly tells us, in the spirit of wisdom and revelation and in the knowledge, in other words, in the growth of, of who we are in Him. And Christian, that is not found in experiences as some might suggest. It is found in a daily diligent study of the Word of God. That's why I love this church so much. We have set our standard that we want you and me, we want us to read the Bible daily. We want us to study the Bible on our own because it is in these pages that you and I will grow. It is within these pages that we will comprehend all that God has for us. The knowledge and the wonders and the blessings that He wants to pour out into our lives as we grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul's counsel and warning found in Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one, 
No one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of man, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. How are we going to know what it is according to Christ? Well, it is simple. It is written within these pages. We need to know what is in here so that we understand what has been given to us and so that no one can take us captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the traditions of mankind. Christians, we need to become wise. We need to become full of true knowledge of Christ, which can only be found within these pages, your Bible, our Bibles. Watch. Up on the screen, you're going to see there's four things that we've written down. Strength, love, grace, peace. Can you see it all? And there's... Philippians 4.13, Romans 5, 5, 2 Corinthians 12.9, and Philippians 4.7. I've had people over and over again say, boy, I'd love more strength to go through what I'm going through. When in fact, Philippians 14 says to us, we can, we can do all things through Christ to what? Well, you want more strength? It's there. Oh, I'd love to love more. Love to be able to love more. And Romans 5, 5 tells us the love of God has been poured out within your heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. You've got all the love you need. Someone desires more grace. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. You have it. Some people ask for peace in these troubling times or whatever difficulties you or I might be going through. We want more peace. Give me some peace, Lord. And Paul says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehensions, going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ. You already have it. You already have it. Look ahead at Ephesians chapter 5 for just a moment. We learn about Jesus Christ through the study of His Word. In Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 6, Paul says, Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Verse 6, For because of these things, these empty words, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't be partakers with them. You were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the world. Walk as children of light. In other words, you're holy and blameless. Walk like it. You're no longer in darkness. Verse 9, For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn, trying to learn, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Too many people, too many Christians, like Mr. Hurst, are searching for something they already have. Not a single Christian needs nor can receive more of the Lord than you already possess. That's why Paul is praying. For this reason, he says in verse 15, because of what I've just explained to you, I want you to have an enlightened heart so that you might know what is the surpassing riches that you have in this glorious, glorious Position. That's why pray, Paul prays for you and me to seek after more spiritual resources, not to seek after resources, but rather to understand, rather to put to use what you and I have been completely and absolutely been given the moment 
we come to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. As verse 17 proclaims, Paul prays that God will give you and me a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Him. That comes through the study of the Word of God. That's why, part and parsley, I love you people so much. We don't come here to hear, you know, you're okay, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. No, we don't give you a rub down here. We don't massage you here. We tell you as best we know how the truth of the Word of God. And we open up the book so that you can look along with us to see and discern in your heart whether you're hearing the truth or not so that you and I can become like the Bereans who studied and examined the Scriptures daily to see if the things that were being said to them was true or not. That's what we do here. That's what this church is all about. I want to tell you how much I thank God for each of you. Father, bless these Bless us all, Father. Bless us. May we comprehend those things that you have for us within your word. May we trust in who you have been in our lives in the past by by choosing us before the very foundation of this world so that we might be holy and blameless positionally before you. How you have protected us right now in this present time in which we live by redeeming us by your Son paying for us, setting us free from the the trials of sin so that we can walk righteously with, with you in Christ and how you have given us a future, sealed us by the Holy Spirit of promise and 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 given as a pledge the inheritance that we have, we are secure. Because not who we are, God forbid. We are secure because of who you are. And we want to thank you for that. We want to have a knowledge of that so that we might comprehend, Father, all the blessings that are ours so that we might walk this earth holy, blameless, righteous people that might demonstrate to others who do not know you the very wonders of an almighty God who lives and reigns within people here on this earth. That's a, that's, a, that's a theory that's hard for some people to comprehend. May we as believers share that truth with those we come in contact with who do not know you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May I add, you cannot share, I cannot share, we cannot share what we don't have. That's enough. I'm, 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 I love you, I love you, I love you. Have a great day. Thanks. Thanks. Have a great day. God bless you guys.